Little, littlest ones can be dismissed for children's worship now. Hey, Scott, when you leave, can you hit these lights for me? Littlest, third, third grade and below. If y'all are, I should have defined that. If you're, uh, if you're here for the first time and you're trying to figure out where you're dismissing your kids, they're going to the treehouse next door for a time of uh, children-oriented, child-oriented worship. And um, you can pick them up after our worship time together. Let's pray. Lord, first this morning, I want to just pray for Ridgecrest Baptist Church. I want to pray for Kevin Herbert and his family. Lord, I pray for his marriage, that it is rich and blessed, and I pray that it is Kevin's primary ministry to his wife. Lord, I pray that he is, uh, as he studies and feasts on the Word to prepare for preaching, that it's first running him through and it's invading his home and his marriage. I pray that he's amazed with grace and uh, surprised with the gospel and that he is walking in worship and wonder and that's gushing over onto home first and then onto a people. Lord, I pray that as a result of that, that you're growing and building a Christ-adoring, gospel-captivated, cross-focused people. Lord, I pray also that you will just raise us up alongside Ridgecrest as being just real teammates in ministry. I pray that you'll guard our hearts as well as guarding the hearts of the other believers and other churches in our community from ever having a spirit of competition and ever having just even a kernel within us that hopes for the worst for another church that we might be blessed. Lord, we cheer for Ridgecrest and we cheer for other churches in this community we pray that you'll be glorified and enjoyed in those churches. pray that those churches will connect to the, the neighborhoods surrounding them and that people will come to know you and walk with you through the ministry of these churches. Lord, I pray that there'll be a real tangible partnership in cubicles or warehouses or front yards, backyards, um, just whatever relationships that we share, that we'll recognize that our Lord's so ample and that this community is so um, available, at least accessible, and uh, that we will truly serve together. Lord, in regards to our time this morning, I pray for wisdom that I just confess and shout is beyond me. I pray for clarity that's beyond me. I pray that you'll guard my mouth and my thoughts and my words and that only your truth will, will come forth. Lord, I pray that you will be enjoyed as a people place your design and your plan, however uncultural, however uh, unpopular, and even however abnormal it is that your design and your plan for marriage will be enjoyed this morning. I pray that we'll see the bigger picture and the most beautiful truth in regards to marriage, the relationship between Christ and the church. Lord, we turn this time over to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I 
feel like this message this morning is in many ways kind of stepping into a minefield. And um, I've got to lead us across it. And if you know anything about minefields, or you can imagine, they're not always easy to see, and you can get off track and off the, the trail and find yourself uh, in a bad situation. So I'm, I've been praying for wisdom this week. I've been searching for really, just searching the Lord's face for precision in my words, in the exposition of the Word, and praying also that He'll guard your hearts and your minds from going on rabbit trails. And what I'm saying when I talk about rabbit trails, we're going in the direction this morning of specifically looking at the relationship between the, the wife and the husband. Next week, we're going to look at the husband to the wife. But it's part of our series of sermons that have to, are called the Dib Series, where the, uh, kind of the focus these last few months has been that our family has dibs over L3, over, um, um, think about all my acronyms I put together, IBM over 3M, uh, you know, just insert the acronym in there, that those don't have dibs over our family. And that shepherds, fathers, in many cases single moms, should have an urgency in leading out at home. And that should be a priority. And this is a message that's connected with that. We've really been focusing on the shepherd leadership. But this Sunday and then a couple Sundays ago, when we looked at the relationship between parents and children, we looked at followership. So we've really been focusing on shepherds, but now we're focusing on those who are to follow shepherds and what that should look like. And this is the minefield. Man, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. As you're turning there, I want to share with you too that I've been thinking that in many ways what this sort of message can do is it can shape and equip and prepare future wives. Some of you who may be engaged or may be younger, you know, teens or uh, even preteens, hearing these sort of images of the relationship between husband and wife, that this sort of sermon can equip you and prepare you for someday when you will be um, wed to someone else. It can also be a message of, that will encourage repentance for current wives if you're not living according to God's design. Repentance in implying also not just remorse, <laughs> but repentance is remorse plus change. So, not just remorse, but actually a change of, of approach. But then also, this message can speak to former wives. Because if you're sitting there thinking, man, you know, I got a, a, a divorce or a couple divorces or whatever behind me, and I'm currently single, it may speak to you and it may call you to a place of conviction about the way that you lived in your previous marriage. Or you may be able to bring that before the Lord and ask for forgiveness. We can't do anything about what's behind us, but you can sure reconcile with a living God over maybe the way that you lived and loved in your previous marriage. I want to remind you too before we climb into it, a couple weeks ago when I encouraged children being not just the underwear-wearing children, but also the, the more mature children, being the teens, and even the young singles that are still living at home, and in many ways, even the young singles that are not living at home. If you've not yet left and cleaved to someone else, then you are still under a unique relationship with your parents. And my encouragement a couple weeks ago was, don't be driven by what you feel is natural. 
I, you know, this is just not natural for me to submit to my parents. Don't be driven by the natural, because in many ways, the natural, the only thing that's really natural for me is sin. <laughs> it comes really easy for me. If, I, if I'm just pursuing the easiest path, the path of least resistance, the path that's most natural and most effortless, then I'm probably neck deep in sin. So if whenever we climb off into this this morning, you're hearing this and you're thinking, man, this is completely unnatural for me. I'm not made like this. Then guess what? <laughs> Neither is the wife that's sitting next to you or the one in front of you or the one behind you. You're not unique. This is common for wives and really I think almost universal that this is pretty unnatural. But in many ways, it validates the divine design that it's unnatural. <laughs> if the design that we climb off into this morning, you're looking at it going, man, this is otherworldly. It's almost out of this. It's almost something that flesh wouldn't create. Then go, yeah, exactly. It almost authenticates the divine design that it is. Like I said, this week we're just dealing with wives. I would have liked to dealt with wives and husbands together, but the Lord didn't break it up that we'd be here for a couple hours. And um, so next Sunday, we'll actually finish our Dib series on Easter Sunday, looking at really kind of a living parable of the cross in our homes called Husband and Daddy. But as for today, let's deal with wives. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22. We're going to look at a number of passages this morning. It's not unique. Uh, the more scripture that we look at, the more robust truth we walk away with. I've introduced the picture of um, a GPS unit that you have in your car, those little handheld GPSs. They work off multiple satellites. The more satellites you add in, the more robust the reading. So that's our approach to scripture. We're going to feast and gnaw on a bunch of scripture and walk away with a robust truth, the robust reading that we're standing squarely in the truth. So if you're not accustomed to flipping, I will, uh, that's okay. I'll give you page numbers that will help you. When I remember, I'll give you page numbers that will help you make the journey with us. Starting in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior, now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. 
Now this morning we're going to go back and forth to Ephesians chapter 5. So if you have a little bookmark or you have one of those little ribbon things in your Bible, put that in Ephesians chapter 5 because that's going to be kind of home base for us. Let's first go to Luke chapter 2 verse 51. What I want to do before I define submission is I want to illustrate submission. If you're like me, visuals are helpful and in some ways seeing a moving, speaking, submitting thing will help you understand what it looks like before we even define it. Luke chapter 2, verse, actually starting in verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem. This is writing and speaking of Christ. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple. I don't know if that's three days plus the one-day journey. But for those of you who are parents of little ones, whether it's three or four days, that's a long time. You'd be pretty nervous at this point. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. I just imagine what they're saying. This is what the, at least what recorded that they said. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to him, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? They did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. It's an appropriate place to go to consider an illustration, a snapshot of submission to look at our Lord because our Lord embodied submissiveness. When I thought about this illustration of this Christ submitting to his parents, I thought, okay, I know that Christ is fully man, but he's also fully God. So I know that he's sinless. I also know that he's perfect. And I know that he's mighty. According to other passages, like Colossians, I know that he's the one in whom all things are held together. And yet here he is submitting to his parents, who I know are not sinless, who I know are not perfect, or were not. In this picture, this example, this snapshot of submission, this sinless, perfect, mighty one, the one in whom all things are held together, is submitting to the sinful and the imperfect parents that God has ordained, the earthly parents that God has ordained he would have. Now turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. I told you I was going to give you page numbers. I'll, I'll try and do that from this point on. 1 Peter chapter 5 on page 1016. There's another snapshot of submission. We'll start in verse 5, just for the sake, or in verse 1, just for the sake of context. You know who I'm talking about in chapter 5. So I exhort the elders among you as, as a fellow elder. This is not just talking about old guys. It's especially talking about those God-ordained elders that are leading the local body. The guys that we talked about last week. The lowercase m mediators in the local body. 
So it says, exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as the witness of the sufferings of Christ as well to be a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock that's among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Listen to these next couple of verses. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise. See, that charge is to the leadership. But now listen to this charge to those who are to follow. Likewise, you who are younger, the young men and the younger men. The men, really, in many ways, that are not elders. The younger men be subject to the elders. It's the same word. Submit to the elders. And here's kind of what it looks like. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's another snapshot of submissiveness. When the young men submit to the elder, they submit to his wisdom, they submit to his insight, surprises me time and time again. I, I, I mentioned this last week that we have a uniquely um, or we have a unique people that are following so wonderfully the elder leadership of this body. But there are times where young men say, I, I'm not up for that. If I like the counsel, I'll follow it. If I don't, then you must be messed up. And it never ceases to amaze me how a young man can expect to not submit to the godly leadership that God has ordained and placed over him in the local church, but then even have a hope that his wife is going to submit and follow him. It happens often. Young men, we think we got all the answers. I used to be a young man, and I know what I thought I knew as a young man. And now being a few years beyond young, I look back and I say, man... I'm thankful for men that, for some reason, they were able to penetrate my hard, proud heart. It's another picture of submission. Here's another one. I told you we were going to use Ephesians 5 as a home base. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Back there on page 978. There's another snapshot of submission. Beginning in verse 15. I'll give you a little context for the book of Ephesians. Paul wrote this book to the church at Ephesus to really explain to them and, and, and enlighten them, illuminate them on what the church ought to look like, how the people of God ought to interact with each other. And in verse 15, listen, listen to what he's saying. This is what God's people ought to look like. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. We ought to be singing to each other every time we see each other. My kids get mad at me when I'm singing to them, but man, that's the way we ought to be toward each other all the time, making up songs about God's glory and how awesome He is today. They don't have to be pretty, they just have to be fresh and new. But we're to be giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're to be a grateful people. And in verse 21, look at this. We are to be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So just a little snapshots that we looked at is this picture of the sinless, perfect, mighty Christ submitting to his parents. The young men or younger men submitting to the elder leadership in the local body. 
And then in the character of the people of God. It ought to be this front-leaning pursuit of submissiveness. Who can I submit to in my, in my pew today? Who can I submit to in my Bible study? Who can I submit to in the local body? The people of God are not fighting for our own, our own rights. The people of God are not about pursuing getting what we think we deserve. The people of God are not to be characterized by fighting for our own way. In fact, we are fighting. <laughs> People ought to say, man, those churches, boy, those guys are fighting. But it ought not be fighting for our own way. It ought to be, man, they are fighting to submit to one another. <laughs> They're elbowing their flesh and elbowing the world, kung fu fighting their flesh to say, man, I want to submit to those people. I want to figure out how. You Remember, we still hadn't defined it. We're just illustrating. I'm going to define it in a minute. We ought to be leaning forward in submission to one another. So the context, remember the next verse that we just read, starting in verse 22 that starts speaking to wives, the context for wives submitting to husbands is an environment where everybody's busy submitting to one another. It ought not be all that hard. We ought to have lots of practice. We ought to be pretty good at it. It ought not be all that unique among the people of God because we're so busy leaning forward. Pursuing submission toward one another. Now, I told you I was going to define it. First I wanted to illustrate it, now I wanted to define it. Look there in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. This definition of this word submit, here in verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. This specific use of this word right here is called a middle imperative in the Greek. You might remember my handling of the imperatives in the past. The imperative would be like somebody shouting, Submit! It's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. It's an urgency. I mean, it's imperative about us getting this. Submit. And the fact that it's a middle mood or middle um, voice sort of verb means that it's something that you do to yourself. It'd be like, I, I'm, I'm combing my own hair. That's a verb that has an impact on you. And submission toward another is about you has nothing to do with the person on the receiving end of it it's a verb that has a middle imperative it's a command that comes back at you so the picture is one submits himself or herself to another now here's a definition that i think will travel for the word submission based on our illustrations based on this middle imperative Here's how we can define submission. It is voluntary, radical, yielding to another in love. We're going to come back to that a lot over the morning. It is voluntary, radical, kung fu fighting boy. Get out of my way, flesh, natural tendency. Kung fu fighting to yield to another in love. We saw it in Christ, the sinless, the perfect submitting lovingly to the sinful and imperfect. That's a proof that it's a middle mood verb because it wouldn't be based on the performance of the recipient because his mommy and daddy were made of the same stuff you and I are made of. And they were fallen just like you and me. Yet Jesus radically yield, yielded to them. 
The picture for the young men is that they are eager, they are leaning forward, they are teachable, they are leadable. And elders, teach me, guide me. I don't want to give you an excuse for why your wisdom won't work. I want to lean forward and lay myself out there and show me your wisdom. Show me where you've gone. That's submission. That's teachability. That's humility. It's voluntary, radical yielding to another in love. And it's to be the character of the people of God as we lean forward, kung fu fighting to submit to each other. Now, in verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. This direction of wives, now turn to your specific husbands, not just any old husband, not all husbands. Now, there's going to be a certain blanket treatment there in in the verse before that says the people of God are busy submitting to one another, but there's a unique and distinct and specific, almost surgical submission to the husband, to that specific husband. He's your man. The old famous song, Stand By Your Man. That's what this is about. A surgical, forward, radical yielding to your specific husband in love. It's not an exclusive sort of submission, but it's an special sort of submission. It's a sweet preference toward your own man. Now, just in case some of you are thinking this may be an obscure treatment, an obscure teaching, if, if there may be a wife in here or a future wife or even a former wife who's sitting here saying, man... That's just one verse. You're talking about you want satellites? Let's collect a couple other satellites. Turn over to Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. It's just a few pages over. Page 984. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Turn over to Titus chapter 2. This is on page 998. Starting in verse 3, here's a charge to older women. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and they are to train the young women. Listen, what they're going to train young women in. They're going to train young women to love their husbands and children. Sounds like something doesn't come natural if there's training involved. We're going to train young women to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled and pure working at home. I, I didn't write it. it it's, God wrote it. <laughs> kind, and there it is, submissive to their own husbands that the Word of God may not be reviled. Now, here's one more satellite. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3. It's on page 1015, just a few pages over. Yeah, first, first Peter chapter 3, verse 1, page 1015. Likewise, wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they might be won without a word by the conduct 
of their wives. I wanted to collect those four satellites just so you know that those aren't kind of these random, discreet, not random, these discreet, obscure teachings. But in fact, every treatment of the husband and wife relationship in our New Testament, I just read to you. Every treatment, every handling of the way husbands and wives should interact, in every case, the writer, God writes, God communicates through Paul, or God communicates through through uh, Peter specifically, that wives are to submit to husbands. So it's not an obscure, discreet teaching. Only culture could marginalize such an important teaching. And whatever our culture says, whatever our flesh says, whatever seems unnatural within us, this teaching is present and consistent in our Bibles. Some of you right now who might be saying, this doesn't feel good, this doesn't just sit well with me, hopefully you're appreciating that we established right up front that it is biblical. Whether you like how it feels or not, it is biblical. Now, turn to Genesis chapter 3. As I was preparing this sermon these last few weeks, I've been almost ready to teach, to preach this these last few weeks, but the Lord has kind of, he's, I've really convinced through his sovereignty, he's helped me refine some of this to where we could deal with some of those things that you may be wrestling with right now. And one of the things you may be wrestling with right now is just this overwhelming feeling that this just doesn't seem natural. I mentioned it right up front. That should self-authenticate it, that man couldn't make it up. Man wouldn't make it up. Are you kidding me? It's got to come from somewhere else. But let me show you why it's so difficult. Why this is unnatural, I think, for all women to varying degrees. Genesis chapter 3 is the story of the fall where Adam and Eve succumbed to the temptation of the serpent. And they took of the fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God finds them in the garden. And he meets out the consequences for all parties involved. First was the serpent. In verse 14, chapter 3, but then in verse uh, 16, he speaks specifically to the woman. Now, hear what he's, listen to what he says to the woman. He says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. Now, this is before epidurals. Those of you who didn't have, Christy had epidurals on all our kids, and we were, man, we were calling friends and talking on the phone. But those of you who didn't have one, you know what I'm talking about. That's, that's true. There's pain in childbearing. I know I don't know that person. Some of y'all are saying, you don't know that. <laughs> I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Now anybody that's raised kids knows that you get your share of pain even after the delivery. And then here for the wife, it says, Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, some of the guys are reading that and thinking, well, okay, it might be painful childbirth, but that doesn't really work for me because that's not the way it unfolds in our home where the desire of the wife is for her husband where she's saying, hey, baby, you look good today. <laughs> it's not that sort of desire of man for woman. What this means here is, is that the woman, it's built into her as a consequence of the fall that she is wired to want to control her husband. And then on the flip side of that, the man is wired to want to rule over his wife. So in many ways, God has built this, this tension into the marriage from the very outset. 
as a consequence of the fall. So if you're sitting here thinking, man, it just doesn't seem natural to me. Well, yes, exactly, because it happened from the fall. It's built into you to want to control your husband. I know you've seen it. I know most of you have never experienced it. But the nagging wife that's beaten the husband to death? I did that. You could do this. You could do that. You should stop doing that. I've never seen it. But I've heard about it. And I hear it's a beaten. That's a consequence of the fall. Where the wife is wired to want to control her husband. What he wears, what he says, what he does. It's wired into you. And God has ordained this tension. And the reality is, the way God has wired it and made it, is that you need him to fix it. (laughs) You can't fix it on your own. While he ordained the tension, he's also provided a divine, outside of yourself, supranormal, supracultural design between wife and husband where it reconciles things the way they should have been in the very beginning. And you can only get that from God. That's the way he's made it. Now, Continuing through the minefield. This morning, I'm going to deal with four questions. Four glaring questions that I know from this point, through our illustrations, through our definitions, even if we've dealt with why it is so, that there are some questions that are like four elephants kind of walking around the room right now. Here's the first one. Are men superior to women? Is that what you're saying? I'm going to deal with that question first. The second question I'm going to deal with is, how far does submission go? (laughs) Some of you might be thinking that. The third question is, why submit? And the last question is, what happens if I don't? First, let's deal with our men superior to women. Turn to Galatians chapter 3. give you a page number here page 974 as you're turning there i want to point out to you the passage that we read here in ephesians where paul speaks first to wives and then he speaks to husbands i want you to just take note first of all that paul doesn't speak to husbands and say hey tell your wives to submit to you he speaks directly to wives that should tell you something right there It should tell you that at least Paul is not considering wives to be brainless and to not be able to process some of these things. He writes to them specifically. If he had considered them brainless or lesser, he would have written to husbands and said, hey guys, tell your wives this. But he wrote to them directly, expecting them to hear it, expecting them to ponder it, expecting them to understand it, and expecting wives to respond to it. He wrote to wives right next to where he wrote to husbands. Now, here's a much more telling passage. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. It says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You could add some more comparisons in here. 
These are just a few comparisons that he captures. Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female. It's the same treatment that he gave here in Ephesians. A lot of it talks about this ethnic difference here between Jew and Greek. Male and female, master and slave. But we could insert others in here. We could say there is no tall or fat in Christ Jesus. There's neither black nor white. There's neither big nor small. There's neither child nor adult. There's neither rich nor poor. There's neither husband nor wife. At the foot of the cross, the ground is level. Those of you ladies who have been taught that you're inferior men, you need to enjoy that verse. Because according to this Bible, redemptively, we're on level ground. You are of equal redemptive value to the rich, to the poor, to the big, to the small, to the child, to the adult, to the black, to the white, to the tall, to the fat, to the Jew, to the Greek. We're on equal footing. Just as certain men are called to the office of elder and given authority in the church, and that implies no superiority or inferiority, the same is true in the home where man has a different role than a woman, but it's not an issue of superiority or inferiority. So no, men are not superior to women. This Superiority, inferiority thing is a complete distortion of God's awesome design. Men and women are of equal redemptive value. Amen? Second question, how far does submission go? Turn back to Ephesians. I want you to see this word. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, here's where we really get, we've got to be on our tippy toes in the minefield right here. I mean, we do. And I want you to just follow, follow me. Don't go on a rabbit trail or you'll blow up. Let me also offer too. <laughs> I want to make sure that I offer this. And I want to make sure, I was going to do it at the end, but I want to make sure that I do it and I may do it again. I want you to see the elders as resources to talk to. And I want you to see the elders' wives as resources also. And many of you have a Bible teacher that may not be an elder, but is ably unpacking the word. Talk with their wife as well. I would not encourage you to talk with somebody who is not even here this morning. That happens so often. Man, did you hear what they preached over at my church? Well, what they preach? And then you try and summarize an hour-long sermon in about 30 seconds? You can't do justice to that. I'm begging you to see the, te- the, pro- the preacher, in this case, is especially approachable in some of these things. But then to see the wives is approachable, and then to see the other elders and your teachers and their wives is approachable on these issues of submission. On the issue of everything, what does everything mean? I'm going to offer that if everything means all aspects of life. The wife is to, to submit to the husband in all aspects of life. Some of the aspects that we deal with every day as husband and wife, if you are married, and even if you're not, these are the sort of things you deal with. Money, work, location, where you're going to live, what you're going to do. You deal with sex. We deal with kids and the discipline and rearing of the kids. 
And we deal with issues of faith. Every day in marriage, those are the sort of things that we deal with. And what this means for the wife to submit to the husband in everything means that the wife submits to the husband in all aspects. In every area of life. Here's a few examples. (laughs) We're on our toes. Money. Wife, you may be better with numbers. Wife, you may be more organized and have a better track record managing your finances. But in marriage, everything means everything. It means that you are to submit to your husband's leadership in this area. Now, I make you this promise. Your husband will make some bad financial decisions. If he's made of the same stuff that I'm made of, he will make some bad financial decisions. He will make bad decisions. He will fail you. But if you'll give him a chance to learn and a chance to learn how to lead, then you'll find that he will lead better and better if you will follow him in this area. If he's smart, he will talk with you and pray with you before making financial decisions. Men, we're going to deal with you next week. But I'm just going to add that in there right now. If you have any sort of sense, any sort of wisdom, you'll realize that your wife has an insight that you don't have and you need it. But it's going to look like this sometimes. Oftentimes, it'll look like, hey, babe, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I think we ought to do. Let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. She says, oh, cool, let's do that. But then there'll be other times where it looks something like this. Hey, babe, here's what I think we ought to do. Let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. And she says... I don't think we ought to do that. And he says, why? And she says, well, here's why. He says, you know, baby, that makes a lot of sense, but I really feel like we need to move forward in this. And I'm going to ask you to follow my leadership in it. And the wife submits in everything. Now, hopefully, Knucklehead's not going off and buying a $20,000 boat or something like that. <laughs> if some of y'all have a boat, I just realized I didn't... <laughs> I didn't really prepare that thought in advance, but hey, spirit-led. Maybe that building campaign, that building fund would take off and we got rid of some of that junk. Now, the area of work. Wife, remember I'm speaking to wives today. Wife, you may make more money than your husband, but that does not give you a default leadership role in your family when it comes to work. That's common where wives are making more than the men, but that does not make you the leader in this area. The marriage and the family needs to follow the husband's leadership. And this has to do with work as well. Like I said, if the man is smart, then you're talking about it. Now the issue of sex. Wife, if you withhold intimacy from your husband, which is not submitting to his leadership, then I make you this promise. It's a matter of time before he entertains thoughts in his head. It's a matter of time before those thoughts migrate from the head to the heart and he's involved in pornography or he's involved in an extramarital affair. I make you that promise. The area of discipline of the kids. Wife, I encourage you to let him lead out in this area. If your marriage, the way God has wired husband and wife, is anything like ours, 
then God has made Christy this beautiful, wonderful nurturer that is so tender and so caring, so graceful in the home. But grace in the absence of law is anarchy or something. I don't know what it is. You don't appreciate grace. You need something that's consistent. You need someone who say, here's the line. And here's where you've crossed it. And hopefully it's a gentle, loving, but firm and consistent father that is leading out in the area of discipline and, and child rearing. I encourage you ladies to follow the husband's leadership in this area. It's happened to me and Christy before, and it doesn't happen very often now. Part of the being the preacher is you hear some of your, your personal stuff. But there have been times where I'm trying to respond to the children, discipline the children, and Christy knows some more information than I know. She has some extra information that would help me make a better decision in the way it's unfolding. And where she called me out in front of the kids... And what we've realized now is there's a very different response for me and in the eyes of the children if she says, hey, Ben, can I talk to you for a minute? There's a sweet submission in that. Where she calls me aside and says, Ben, listen, here's what happened today. Here's what happened before you walked in the room. And if I'm wise, I'm listening to my wife and I'm making a better decision in how to lead our kids. In the area of faith, Wife, if your husband is demonstrating a spark of faith and worship and wonder, you need to follow his leadership in that journey of faith. You need to cheer for him. You need to encourage him. Rather than finding, listen to this, rather than finding a church home that the kids like, and I know we've got some visitors today. A lot of our regulars are off on spring break stuff. There's some visitors here, and you might be thinking, man, I want to check out their children's ministry. That's fine, man. We, that's a priority for us. But don't find a church home based on the children's ministry. Find a church home based on the daddy and husband ministry. Is your husband going to be wrecked with the word week by week? Is he going to be called out to the place of shepherding in the home? Is he going to be equipped for worship and wonder? And if you find a place that's like that, then follow his leadership in becoming part of that people. Wife and family should submit to the husband and the father in this. Submission in everything means voluntary, radical, yielding in love in all aspects of life. I want to take you to an example that Peter brought out. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. This is just an incredibly radical example. If you're thinking how radical this is, if you're trying to sort this thing out, we're not done with how far does it go yet. But if you're still trying to kind of sort that out, look at the illustration that Peter uses when he tells wives to submit to husbands in chapter 3. He says, Likewise, wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of clothing, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. By submitting to their husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him 
Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. The illustration, I used a few snapshots at the beginning, and one of them was the beginning of this passage. But I didn't develop it all the way because I want to let Peter develop it for himself. If Peter were to be preaching this message, he probably would have landed the whole thing on Sarah. If you know the story about Abram and Sarah, or Sarai at that time, God told Abram to go to a place that he would show him. So he goes to Canaan. He goes, builds an altar. Man, he's squarely in God's will. He's marching off, doing exactly what God tells him to do. He goes to this land, and then there's a famine. He's like, man, God called us to this place that we're going to inherit, but I'm hungry. Sarai, load up the wagon. He probably helped. Load up the cart. We're going to Egypt. And you know what? As we're getting closer to Egypt, Sarai, I'm looking at you, and girl, you a honey. You so fine. You know what? Let's do this, Sarai. Whenever we go into Egypt, let's make believe. Now, she really was his half-sister. But let's tell everybody you're my sister. And then they won't kill me and take you for their own wife. So what happens? She submits to his design, which is a knuckle-headed, beef-headed design. Are you kidding me, Abram? How could you be so squarely planted in God's will and then step off with this goofball plan? It's exactly what he did. But she submitted to him in many ways, kind of like Christ submitted to his sinful, less than perfect parents. And she goes off and sure enough, Pharaoh takes her into his harem. We don't know the details of what happened there. They were freed eventually and they came back home to Canaan. But this picture of Sarah is the picture of submission in everything. And contrary to what people may think, this passage is not about jewelry and braided hair. <laughs> Contextually, this passage is saying that as beautiful, what a, as, as hammer as she was, fine. Her true adornment was how she submitted to her husband. That was the real beauty. And that's what it means for the wife to submit to her husband. That's You want to be beautiful? And it's beautiful when you see it. A wife that submits to her husband... Now, look on that same page. I want to show you something. We're still developing. How far does it go? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. This Peter, this same guy that says, Wives, submit to your husbands, like Sarah submitted her husband and called him Lord, even when he was a bonehead. This same Peter says this in verse 13. He says, All right, same people that I'm writing to, be subject, that same word is submission. Be submissive for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors or as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. I don't know if y'all are really students of history, of what's going on in the Roman Empire at this time while he's writing this letter. But if you studied the Roman Empire at all, you know that Christians are being killed, murdered, dipped in tar, have a stick poked up in you, and you're serving as a human torch around the Colosseum and around little areas of town. There's no public lighting system. It's burning Christians. And he's saying, submit to them. Crazy things. Christians being, being offered up as lion food, as gladiator competitors. <laughs> you kidding me? And Peter's saying, submit to them. 
Submit in all aspects of life. Turn to Acts chapter 5. As you're turning there, I want to uh, relieve some of you who are alarmed at this point. I had someone talk with me this week and said, Hey, you know, regarding your handling of the message regarding children and parents a couple weeks ago, he said, you know, you preached then that children were submit to their parents in everything. Because it says the same thing in Colossians. Children are submit to their parents in everything. That everything meant everything. And you really didn't offer any sort of boundaries. And he said, you know, I don't know if you're really thinking about it, but parents can lead kids into some pretty wicked stuff these days. And I said, you know, that's a good point. I don't know if I said that when we were thinking, we were sitting there talking about it. But since then, I've been processing that. And, you know, I confess, my mind didn't go to the wicked possibilities. But we've got to deal with those. And we've got to reckon with the reality that a man can try and lead his wife into some pretty wicked stuff. And submitting everything means in all aspects of life, but it doesn't mean into sin. Here's an example. Acts chapter 5, verse beginning in 27. This is regarding the New Testament church, this brand new church that's on the scene in Jerusalem. Peter and the apostles are leading out in the church. And here's what happened. They're brought before the council. Listen, now this is the same Peter. You're going to see Peter in motion here, and you're going to see him say something. The same Peter that in the book of 1 Peter just said, submit to your authorities and to all these human institutions. But look what he does. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you fill Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The same dude that just said, Wives, submit to your husbands. That just said, people of God, submit to human authority. Here he defies human authority when it comes to a God thing. When it comes to an issue of sin, and in his case, keeping silent is sin, I will not obey you, counsel, because I have a higher authority. And the same is true for the wife. There's a visual of it right here. What happens to the wife when she follows her husband into sin? In the same chapter. Look at it. Since we're on the page, Acts chapter 5, verse 1. A man named Ananias, remember that's the guy, with his wife Sapphira, that's the girl. He sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You've misrepresented what this piece of property sold for. You've not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down stone cold dead and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. Man, I bet there wouldn't be much lying around there. How much you sell a lamp for? I'll tell you, down to the penny. Well, the young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. 
After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in. Sapphira comes marching in. She's late for worship as usual. Three hours late. Come on, girl. She doesn't know what, what's happened. And Peter said to her, remember, this is the same guy that's telling wives, submit to your husbands. Peter says to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you've agreed together to test the Holy Spirit or to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down stone cold dead at his feet and breathed her last. That's a pretty good picture there. That you can follow your husband into sin and you've sinned too. Peter didn't notice. The same guy that's saying, wives submit to your husbands, didn't ask her, hey, uh, Sapphira, did, were you just submitting to your husband in godly, you know, in his godly design in this? He didn't ask that same question. In fact, he pronounced her dead for following her husband into sin. So there are boundaries to submission. This picture of submission one to another is all over our Bibles, but we're never encouraged to submission in, or to submit into sin. Instead, it's, it's submit into the direction of holiness. If you're doing something that causes your brother to stumble, as an act of submission, you stop doing it so that he can move into a place of greater holiness and so that you too can move into a place. It's a picture of submission and moving in the direction of holiness, not in the direction of wickedness. We are never encouraged to submit into sin. Should you follow an elder or a group of elders into sin just because God says follow your elder leadership? No, sir. No, ma'am. You should not. And children, you should not follow your parents into a place of wickedness because of this command to submit. Because ultimately, we're all responsible to the Lord. Now, while there are boundaries, this is not the catch-all. It's not the catch-all to bail on your husband anytime he's doing something that you think is unwise or that you don't like. Or they may not benefit you like you think it ought to. This is not the catch-all, wives. It's simply something to guide you if your husband tries to lead you into something that involves <coughs> wickedness. To recognize you have a responsibility to the Lord, ultimately. Now, here's the most important question. It's not the last one, because the last one's kind of a follow-on to this third question. Here's the most important question. Wives, why should you submit? You may be sitting here saying, okay, I see it, but why should I really? Turn back to, or to Ephesians. Why should I submit? I'm going to start in verse 31, page 979. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, I'm, I'm going to unpack this for you in a minute. But I want you to know that this command of wife to obey her husband, thankfully, isn't just because. <laughs> if that's all we had was a big old just because, I mean, we do that with our kids sometimes. Why are we doing that, mommy? Just because. That was never enough for me. I need a reason. I'm not encouraging children to question your parents. <laughs> but this picture, this explains why the wife should submit to the husband. 
when Paul wanted to instruct the Ephesians on marriage, he didn't say, huh, you know, the church and Christ would be kind of a cool illustration. Or maybe God creating man and woman, that might provide kind of a cool illustration for me to teach them on marriage. Negative. Paul didn't do that. Paul saw in God's original design for husband and wife, and that's where this comes from, from Genesis chapter 2, where he says specifically, right here in, in this passage, he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's from Genesis chapter 2. That's from the original design. Paul hearkens back to the original design where God made man and woman. And Paul takes him to the relationship between the church and Christ. So the question is, you're reading it, and as people were hearing it for the first time, they're going, is he talking about marriage or the church? And the answer would be yes. He is. Because they go together. Consider this about marriage. God created marriage. Not as a remedy for your loneliness, men. Not so somebody could, I don't know why wives kind of, women kind of think they want to get married. I, but insert your reason. <laughs> I don't know. God created marriage to be a walking, talking, nurturing, caring, submitting to, dying for illustration. And here's even a better word. Parable of Christ in the church. I love parables because they're stories. And they have faces and they have feet and hands and they do things and they throw seed or they get knocked in the head. It's a story that think you can visualize. That's what marriage is. It's a parable of Christ in the church. This ought to hit you right between the eyes. This, I know, of the questions that I've asked is the least provocative because the others are kind of like, well, I want to see what he has to say about equality. I want to see what he has to say about how far. But this, you know, it's not that provocative for me. This is what should hit you square in the eyes. This, God joined you together as husband and wife. And here's just a few names. Ben and Christy. Eric and Susie, Brad and Christy, Bob and Debbie, Bob and Rhonda, Corey and Jennifer, Cody and Jennifer, Jason and Amanda. That's just a few names I can just think of. If your name's not on there, don't be offended. God, according to my Bible, it says, what God has joined together, let no man separate. So God joined you together. You think you found each other, but no, sir, not according to my Bible. God joined you together, and God joined you together for a purpose so that you, the two of you, insert your names in there, could illustrate the gospel. That changes everything. That adds a note of gravity to your marriage. It should add a note of gravity to the way you speak to each other in your kitchen, the way you talk with each other in your den. It ought to add a note of gravity to everything, the way you look at each other. The sort of conversations that you have in the car as you drive and your kids are listening to every word. That ought to add a note of gravity. Men to how you want to lead gently, lovingly, carefully nurturing your wife. And it ought to add a note of gravity for women of how you want to follow. Because as you follow, people are seeing how the church should follow Christ. Man, that's reason enough. Marriage is about Christ and the church. 
It's a little bit discreet in this passage. It's kind of hard to tease out. But in this passage, remember the illustration that I showed in Ephesians 5, 21, where we're supposed to be front-leaning toward each other? Looking, man, I want a kung fu fight, karate chop, so I can submit to one another. We're leaning in that direction. Why do we do that? Out of reverence for Christ. That word reverence is the word phobos. Now, the way that chapter ends is with this charge. Let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That word respect is the word phobeo. You, if you have any kind of, if you thought about it, phobeo, phobos, phobia, fear. Oh, yeah, those are connected. Reverence, respect. He's saying we submit to one another out of reverence, a healthy, good sort of fear of Christ. And the wife submits to her husband out of respect. Reverence, can I say it? Phobeo. They're connected. Paul was talking about both. He wasn't talking about one or the other. He was, yes. I'm talking about Christ and the church. And I'm talking about marriage. Marriage is about Christ. The wife submits to the husband as to the Lord. The wife submits to the husband as is fitting in the Lord. Here's the point, ladies. You cannot worship and follow Christ and thumb your nose and chump your husband. You may be okay with saying, man, I love Jesus, but my husband, that son of a gun is a knucklehead. I'm not going to follow him. You cannot follow Christ and thumb your nose at your husband because they're intertwined. In some ways, as you're submitting to the Lord, you're submitting to your husband as you submit to the Lord. You can't chump your husband and submit to the Lord because they go together. You can't be a student of marriage. This is why the marriage getaways kind of always sit funny with me. Because that's all they talk about is marriage. Listen, I'm not condemning marriage getaways. But if if not about the gospel, don't go. You cannot be a student of marriage without being a student of the church. (laughs) You hear that? Some of you are like, man, I'm pouring myself into my marriage, but my church, man, whatever. I'm not pouring myself into my church. You cannot place a premium on a sweet marriage and thumb your nose at the church. One illustrates the other, and the other fuels the one. Marriage is about Christ and the church. Wives, as you submit to your husbands, you're submitting to God's design. You're trusting Him, and you're claiming Him sovereign, even over who you have as a husband. Because if you're thinking, yeah, this might be true, but it don't apply to me because they didn't know the joker I ended up with. (laughs) You're submitting to God's design and you're submitting even to His sovereignty in the joker that you ended up with. Submitting to God's design, ladies, listen, is worship. (laughs) You're not worshiping your husband, but you're worshiping the God of your husband. And his design and his sovereignty. Now, 
Last question, briefly. What's in store if you say, ah, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think I'm going to submit to my husband as to the Lord. Here's what's in store. You will cripple your husband by not following him. If you treat him like a chump, then guess what? He will be a chump. You will self, he will self-fulfill how you treat him. You treat him like a goober, he will be a goober. Defiance toward your husband in areas of preference, not in areas of sin. Defiance in areas of preference make for a broken man and a fractured home. I promise you that. Many of you have been in a play before. I've never been in one that I can recall, but I know a lot of like kids' plays in school. You learn your part. You practice. You have assignments, tryouts maybe for the lead roles or whatever. Everybody gets their position and they learn their words and their part. And you practice. And then the day of the play, imagine someone being on stage in the middle of an act and saying, you know what? That dude over there, he's not playing his part very well. I think I'm just going to assume his part right here in the middle of the act. What would that do to a play? Man, it's going to be mayhem. Chaos. It's going to be a spectacle. It's not going to be a rich, joyful time of entertainment. Not that that's what a marriage is. But imagine the impact of it. The wife says, that guy's not playing his part well. I'm going to assume his role. Not switch roles with him. I'm going to assume his role and play mine and his. That's what happens when a wife does not submit to her husband. You will make him into a goober. Into a chump. You cannot hope to find a sweet rhythm in your marriage and in your family apart from God's design. I have folks in the church and out of the church that want to talk to me about marriage sometimes. Their marriage is in shambles. Uh, usually it's really bad by the time it gets to me. And if I take them to pictures like this where wife's submitting to husband and husband's loving wife as Christ loved the church, they go, uh, what else you got? You got any other? You got any other tips? <laughs> there any workarounds to that model? Because I don't think so. How could you possibly think that you can find a sweet rhythm in your marriage, the thing that God designed and created without surrendering to and working toward His design, His divine design? There are no workarounds. And here's why there's no workarounds. Because it's about Christ in the church. Let me pray. Lord, I hope and pray that we have navigated the minefield without stepping on a mind that's not um, a mind of our own making. Lord, I pray that every step has been squarely planted in the truth. I pray that we've collected satellites and that we have a robust truth that we can live for and die for. Lord, I pray for wives 
our wives-to-be, or even former wives, as we process and sort these sort of things, I pray for just a, a offering, a surrendering of ourselves to the truth and to your design and your plan. Whatever violence it does to us. Lord, I pray for a brokenness in those wives that have a marriage behind them, that they're broken before you if they did not surrender to this design. I pray for wives that are in a marriage right now where they may be treating their husband like a chump, that this message, these truths, and the work of the Holy Spirit in their life is so convicting them where they're in the parking lot or over lunch apologizing to their husband and apologizing to you. Lord, I pray for future wives. Lord, I pray that today that you are equipping young women to have a beautiful adornment of submission toward a man. And Lord, in preparation for next week, I pray that those men, that you're grooming them to die daily for their wives. Lord, we pray that the gospel will be on display through these sort of relationships. We love you so much, Lord. We thank you for grace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's worship in song.